The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 21st chapter. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Good morning. I'm really grateful for the invitation to be with you here at Upper Dublin this morning, although in the complicated negotiation that... uh, that preceded this in which we figured out what day I could actually come, I didn't think to look in the lectionary to see what the gospel lesson (laughs) would be. It's a great Sunday to have a guest preacher. (laughs) But I could see I had preached on this before, so I wasn't going to be afraid. Um, I have been now at United Lutheran Seminary for just over two years, and it's only been this fall, as the pandemic has lessened, that I've been able to get out and about and visit congregations as much as I'd like. So now I can do it about, I try to keep one Sunday a month to myself for other things, but, uh, but I, about three out of four Sundays I'm out in congregations around the area that our seminary is directly responsible for. We're a national institution have students from every corner of the church, but we are especially responsible to what the ELCA calls Region 7 and 8, which is everything from Maine down as far as West Virginia and includes the Metro DC area and Maryland and Delaware, but not Virginia, so we don't have any of the, the Old South. But, uh, but this whole area, which since I came to this from Southern California, doesn't seem to me to be a vast territory, at least not in comparison with the Southwest, but it's still a hard one to get around in. And, uh, and I have really rejoiced that there are so many congregations like this one not too far from where I live. I live in Elkins Park most of the time when I'm not on the Gettysburg campus, and, uh, and so you're really close at hand, and at some point in our normal rotation, my husband and I will simply come to worship with you. 
I'm grateful for this congregation's faithful support of the seminary through the years, for it taking on our students as field placement students, and uh, and just joyful that we have such strong congregations as this in our neighborhood. I can't avoid preaching about this text indefinitely as much as I would like to, but if you, and you might have erased it from your mind already, but if you think back to that text, it's pretty ominous. It's filled with warnings, warnings of destruction and war and conflict and persecution and betrayal. It's not Jesus' normal speech to his disciples. He's conjuring up for his listeners an image of a world full of difficulty and challenge. And although I am firmly convinced, and this is the main point of my sermon, is that Jesus' intention is to give us hope, to give his followers hope and reassurance, he's actually projecting in their minds something that I think is more likely to have frightened them. He tells them that there will be a day ahead in which everything beautiful about the temple will be destroyed. And he tells them that teachers will come forward to predict exactly when this is going to happen, but that they shouldn't listen to them. So not only are bad things going to happen, but you're never going to know exactly when. Then there will be wars and earthquakes and famines, but don't worry about those either. Because the persecution you will experience will be the main thing you'll encounter. So again, out of the frying pan into the fire. And even then, don't bother to defend yourself because you will be rejected by everyone who should support you. And know this, Jesus says, you will be hated and some of you will die. But, but you will also be safe and you will endure and you will gain your souls. This is sort of a head-scratcher to me, as I'm sure it was to Jesus' followers. Some of you will die, but you will be safe. I can imagine the listeners to Jesus kind of recoiling at this message, saying, whoa, I didn't sign on for this. Maybe kind of rethinking this whole commitment thing and looking for the exits, because it is pretty ominous, and Jesus really on the face of it doesn't seem to be giving the people around him too much hope. But that's why reading texts like this at face value, as though they were about us, being spoken to us right now, that we were being warned just as those long ago listeners were, that's why I think this is not such a good idea. And we ought to do it together in church. In spite of all the warnings that this message contains, I think it is much, much less about all the bad stuff that is going to happen than it is about how constant and enduring the love of God is through all those things, even all the bad things that we humans have to experience. I'm a historian by training. Most of the years before I first uh, took on full-time church work were were spent as a professor of church history at a university. And so when I hear about stories of wars and kingdoms rising against kingdoms and nations and empires rising and falling. There's nothing new in that. That has been the story of humankind. But for each of us, the thing that's most important is what's happening around us now. And when you look at the news footage of the war in Ukraine or, or even the, the terrible damage done by the hurricane in Florida this week, a little overshadowed by all the election news, 
It's hard to imagine how anyone could think that one of these disasters, either a humanly caused one like a war or a natural disaster like a hurricane, could be somehow part of God's intention for the sake of some unknowable plan that has to be worked out and that will always be the best in the end, for the best in the end, because it comes from God. I just don't believe in that sort of thing. I don't think that God decides to strike some and not others. I don't think God makes rain and storm for the sake of judgment and punishment, though it's easy for me to understand how our ancestors might have thought that. I can understand how you could think that. Because God is more powerful and more perfect than anything in the created order. And we do God the favor of thinking that nothing then could be truly random with God as great as God is. And for centuries, believers have stumbled on this challenging idea that that God is both the perfect knower of all and also the author of a world in which bad things happen. And many people have concluded that since life and the world seem somehow to punish us by pain and loss and death, that God somehow, because God is, of course, above all things, God must be parceling out the good and the bad to each of us, according to some divine and ultimately just plan. I think that's what this text is about. Jesus trying to deal with people who have that kind of fear of God. And more precisely, the writer of Luke's gospel is wrestling with the anxieties of first and second century Christians in a time and in a place who are trying to make sense of their own pain and loss in a world that they believe should be different than it is. They believe, as we do, that everything belongs to the risen Christ and that Christ would make everything perfect by returning and they cannot wait for that to happen. But we know it didn't work out that way. Twenty centuries have passed. Jesus died and rose again and gave his people a message of of a new way of life and a vision of a realm to come, a realm of justice and hope. But it didn't come soon enough for those early Christians, and it doesn't come soon enough for us, in a sense. And instead, trouble came. And in this text, 40 or 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Christians were reminding themselves, and all who read this text through the ages, right down to us today, that though Jesus has promised the kingdom, it has not been promised to everyone right away, but at some time known only to God. And in the meanwhile, what one of my teachers used to call the mean meanwhile, we live in a complicated world full of conflict and war and greed and jealousy and fear, and we live within a natural world that has storms and earthquakes and floods and tornadoes. I grew up in Oklahoma, so tornadoes are my great fear. I think Jesus is trying in this lesson to give his people hope that as bad as things sometimes seem, as random as natural disasters are, as cruel as other humans seem to be to us or to each other, there is still both hope, hope and comfort in believing. Comfort in our experience of God in Jesus Christ. And that hope and that comfort are here, right now, not at some future point after the tribulations, but with us all along right here and now where we are gathered in Jesus' name to listen and to understand, to sing, to pray, to eat and drink and rejoice 
and know that there is a moment of peace and hope among, amidst all the chaos. There is here a moment of love and truth that opens the curtain of earthly reality that exists in spite of all the challenges we face and that gives, gives us a glimpse of something greater, something better, and something purer ahead. It shouldn't take a disaster to teach us that we need God because we know that in the face of an uncertain world, we have to be constantly reminded that we need each other. We need to hang together and help each other as each of us faces our own challenge. Each of us carries both hope and fear in our hearts, and Jesus wants us to know that no matter how scary our world becomes, the hope we have in him can console and sustain us even beyond the boundaries of earthly life itself, even in the face of death. Hope can carry us through the difficulties and challenges and even the disasters. And again and again, every time we turn to Jesus, Jesus shows us a light in the darkness, even the darkness inside ourselves, the one we hide. As I visit congregations in our church I often ponder what it means for us in this day and age to call ourselves believers and to gather together as we do this morning to hear ancient words repeated, to sing old songs and a, and a few new ones. And I keep coming back to the same thing that I think Jesus is trying to say to us in this lesson, that whatever happens, however complicated life becomes, to whatever extent the world seems unfriendly or indifferent, we have a sure, reliable, constant friend in the God we know Jesus to be. And that's why we do all this. That's why we drag ourselves out of our comfortable beds on chilly, overcast mornings to come to church. We don't have to. We do it because we want to belong. We want to be here, not to be alone to be reminded that God seeks us out when we gather together and offers us connection in the word of promise and the fellowship we feel that Jesus meets us at this table and in that complicated idea that he is with us in bread and wine so that we can not only listen, listen and hear, but that we can also taste and see that God is good. We do all this for the for the word of hope that it contains. However dark the world seems to us right now, however anxious and fearful we may become, Jesus has promised to be with us, to strengthen us, and give us hope. Whether we are in sorrow or joy right now, God is with us here. God is with us now. And our challenge is to keep that sense of God's presence alive until we can get back here and renew and rediscover it as we do every Sunday. May the God of love and peace and hope give you every joy in believing now and every day of your life. Amen.